Erica Bridgman, thanks for listening. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned next for Javelin Richards and Cover to Cover. Good afternoon and welcome to Cover to Cover. I'm your host for the next half hour on Cover to Cover, Javelin's Bistro. And today I'm bringing you a writer who lives in Oakland, California, Mary Monroe. She's written numerous books, some of them on the New York's Best Time Sellers list. Here are some of the titles of her books that you may already know. The Devil You Know, Never Trust a Stranger, Can You Keep a Secret, Every Woman's Dream, Bad Blood, Family of Lies, Lost Daughters, God Don't Make No Mistakes, Mama Ruby, God Ain't Through Yet, God Ain't Blind, The Company We Keep, and many more. Mary Monroe, the daughter of sharecroppers, is the author of the award-winning and New York Times best-selling God series that includes God Don't Like Ugly and God Don't Make No Mistakes, among other novels. Winner of the AAB, AAMBC Maya Angelou Lifetime Achievement Award and the Penn Oakland Josephine Miles Award. Mary currently, Mary Monroe currently lives in Oakland, California. She loves to hear from her readers via email at authorarthur5409 at aol.com. And you can visit Mary's website at marymonroe.org. Today we're going to talk about um, Mary Monroe's latest work that I read, a fantastic novel, One House Over Two Homes one lie that binds. Welcome to Cover to Cover, Mary. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mary, for you, when I was reading your bio, mm-hmm. you've never taken a writing course. Never. <laughs> never. And, and so, when Still you have it, <laughs> right? So, all the writers out there and the struggling writers are probably just all taking a seat. Like, how in the world did this happen? Because you're, I. I just was introduced to you, and part of one of the perks of being a part of KPFA is to be able to have writers' novels sent to us. Uh, mm-hmm. or, and I finished it maybe in four days. Um, oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> one House Over. Absolutely beautiful work. What was your inspiration for One House Over? Um, well, you know, I... I I tell everybody, and uh, and it is, it's the truth, all of my books are based on my personal experiences. <laughs> I read that too, Mary, and I was quite shocked. <laughs> yeah, you should be. <laughs> yes, so that's a very rich life. This story starts off on June 1934. And well, I wasn't born then, but... <laughs> right, right, right. That's what you're saying, but you you can place the story anywhere, but the content, oh, yeah. the activities uh-huh. of the uh-huh. of what's happening with, these, with the people in it. So... Tell us a little about this story. So it comes from your life, and give us a sense of what's happening in this story. Uh, Well, this this particular story, one of the reasons I said it in the the time period, in the 1930s, 39, you know, close to the 40s, is because that that time period, 
even though I wasn't around yet. It's just so fascinating. My mother used to tell me stories, my, my grandfather and grandmother too, used to tell me stories about what it was like in the South, you know, with the, the, the bootleggers and uh, all the, the crime and the Jim Crow laws and all the things that were taking place. And these are things that they, you know, I learned about when I was like five and six years old. And a lot of it stayed with me. And so uh, I'm not saying that uh, what's happening today is not as interesting, but uh, I wanted to to uh, address a time period and characters that are very unlike the people we know today. And I don't want to say they're more interesting, but uh, they're to me they're a lot more fun to write about. So, how would, for example, you have Odell, who's in the, and he's married to Joyce. Joyce, yeah, right. And mm-hmm. so, this couple, how would they differ from a couple? Let's say fast forward. If that you, if you place them in current time, what are some of the well, characteristics? In current times, with with the, the technology and 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 so many resources that we have now, um, I think we look more at more realistically at life. Back then, when you know you got by with word of mouth and and what somebody told you and the gossip and the whatnot, things were so much more limited, you know. And so, because of that, people made a lot of mistakes that they would not make today. And um, you know, one is I'm not saying people won't that would not um, cheat on their spouses, but back then it was almost a way of life. I had uh, relatives, you know, uncles and and uh, and aunts who had more than one family. You know, they they thought, oh, if I can get away with it, why not? And so, but I don't think you can do that today. No, easily. no, I think you're right, particularly with face, <laughs> Facebook and cell phones, people's <laughs> cell phones and uh, right. Twitter Facebook, and all these other right. things. Um, but, yeah, that was the fun about it was to, to write about a period and situations where people could live lives. They could live lives separate from other lives. You know, they could live. It was much easier to lead a double life back in the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. So as I read the, the I'm going to read the uh, cover to the, the inside cover that tells us okay. about the, as if we're in a bookstore, you open a book and it shares a little bit about uh, the book that see whether we want to buy it or not. Uh-huh. So I'm going to read that part. A solid marriage, a thriving business, and the esteem of their close-knit Alabama community. Joyce and Odell Watson have every reason to count their blessings. Their marriage has given well-off Joyce a chance at the family she's always wanted and granted Odell a once-in-a-lifetime shot to escaping grinding poverty. But all that respectability and status comes at a cost. Just once, Joyce and Odell want to break loose and taste life's wild side without consequences. When their new neighbors turn out to be high-stepping bootleggers, Milton and Yvonne Hamilton. And that's what you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> you have this. Yes. Right. So you have this, because Joyce comes from a very, you start off the book where she's sitting at the table. It's, a, it's Sunday, uh, her mother and father, and they're talking about the sermon, But there, and there's enough for there's three people eating, but there's enough for f- several folk because that's, that's <laughs> yeah. the southern way of life. You never know that's who's going to yeah, stop by, which right. is and very different. Today. It's, yeah, <laughs> and it's very different uh, to 
to, like you say, there's a lot of people do have a lot of an abundance, but it's very rare, I think, in, in current times to be anticipating folks to stop by on a Sunday the way they did in Alabama in the 1930s. Oh, you yeah. It was almost like if you didn't have the food, it, it was a deeper meaning to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you didn't have company come by, it's, it was it had a different meaning. And right it now... It had a very different meaning. Yeah, so she comes from a very, very religious family, God-fearing mm-hmm. family. And she meets Odell, who... Tell us about Odell. He's not quite the church-growing kind of man. Well, <laughs> o- Odell, you know, he, he he came from a totally different background, you know. He didn't get to experience the, I don't want to call it, I guess the bourgeoisie life. Joyce's family, Joyce's family owned the most successful, uh, I don't want to say convenience store, but, uh, you know, country store in that little small Alabama town. So she never wanted for everything, for anything. Odell, on the other hand, you know, his family, you know, was kind of split. You know, he worked on farms. He did odd jobs. He worked in a brothel. So he was always looking for something bigger and better. And he meets Joyce, and she's kind of desperate. Her family's kind of desperate to get her married. And so he takes it and kind of runs with it. And he really loves her, though. I want to. I want to make sure that the, that that's understood. That he really loves her. But then he meets another woman that he loves just as much. And Joyce can't give him children, or she hasn't given him children. But the other woman right away starts giving him children, and that's what he wanted. And so if he decides, well, why not? I'll live a life with Joyce, and I'll live a life with Betty Jean. And as long as I can get away with it, I will. And that's exactly what happens until his best friend and next door neighbor finds out. Yeah, and that can be. That was very, yes, yeah, very, um, very interesting how they they become friends. And it really is having someone to go and hang out because the neighbors before this couple uh, moves in there was an older couple. Oh, the elderly, the elderly couple <laughs> who couldn't stand sounds or <laughs> couldn't stand. You couldn't barbecue. The could, smoke would bother them, right? You know. <laughs> and it's, but you're absolutely right. It, it's real clear in your writing, your story, that Odell really loved her, and I think it's important yes. to say. That that when she was desperate to get married, that you started the novel off with her parents discussing her not being married and what that's going to mean, and and she's getting older, and and they're putting a lot of pressure on her, mm-hmm. and she's not a traditionally attractive woman. She's over six you know, feet, isn't she, or close oh, to yeah, six feet? Oh, yeah, she's those big, big, tall, big, you know, kind of stout, sturdy. And not that she's ugly, but, you know, you know, um, she didn't feel uh, attractive, you know, and her family certainly made her, you know, they kind of fed into that. Well, you know, you're big and, you know, you're not so young. And so she's at a point. And then the other men in her life kind of made her think that, oh, I'm just with you until somebody else comes along. So her, she had some self-esteem problems. Yes. And he and Odell, he had heard so much about her from because he's working in the store that her daddy mm-hmm. owns mm-hmm. and you're right this store is very important because the depression has happened and right. and so it's not just the Alabama community color folks that are shopping they're colored at that particular time in history but even a lot of folks that are out of that community are coming to shop there because they've lost a lot so it is a yeah. booming black business. and white black and or white I should say colored and white colored yeah that's, that's what, what I said back then right and so 
And so he starts to work there after he's been working in this brothel. Mm-hmm. And he's hearing these two people. Con- what are their characters' names? They're cons- oh, my God. That's Buddy Armstrong and Sadie Mae Glutz. Yeah. You know, you, we know gossips, you know, people who like to stir up a bunch of mess. What do you call them? My stepfather would call them signified. <laughs> yeah. Signified monkeys. And now that we call them haters. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. right. They're haters and throwing shade all day. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So, and then he hears about her and he's anticipating meeting someone that is ugly and huge and and <laughs> hands like man and feet like man. And when she walks in, he actually sees the beauty of her. Yes, he does. He sees her shyness. Mm-hmm. He sees, and but yet, as, as there's parts when she's talking, he can also see the boldness in her. Yeah, and I appreciated in when he takes her out for a date that even when she offers to pay, he makes it really clear to her because he has manners. Yes, that's part of his game. <laughs> yes, and he's handsome. Oh, he's, he's gorgeous. He's gorgeous. He's and, gorgeous. And she's like, why would he want me? And he makes it. So he does. He really does care for her. But in mm-hmm. his mind, he always imagined he would be with the Redbone woman. Yeah. And that, <laughs> and that's, that's, that's what happens to him. He does meet this incredibly traditional. Betty Jean. Yeah, Betty Jean. Who's likable. Betty and she's desperate too. Yeah, I mean she she's uh, had a relationship with another married man, and that didn't go anywhere. And and back then, even though Betty Jean was only eighteen, you know, um, back then eighteen was like twenty five. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you get married, you know, you find somebody, and so Beth, Betty Jean was a desperate in her own way. You know, uh, she wanted children, and, and back then everybody wanted children. Everybody wants ch- children, even today. And so she fell in love with him right off the bat, love at first sight. And uh, she took it, and she took him and ran, and he took her, and he figured, well, if I can get away with it, why not? And, yeah, and he did struggle. He fought against it. He really mm-hmm. fought he against it, but it was, he was <laughs> But he was weak. He was, he was, and she overwhelmed him with her sense of freedom and her own sensuality and her comfort and her boldness. Uh huh. That's what I got with as I was reading. I was, you know, her to be eighteen and to have be so full of of knowledge. Like when he wanted to leave, and she was like, "No, just go ahead on the sit here and eat. If you get on the road, it'll be cold." And the way she would do it with the flirtatiousness, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he felt a little because I think Odell was used to getting his way with women from beginning and end, and you share that in the novel. Oh, definitely, definitely. So this, and then you, I I had to email to ask you, because when I got into the book, it's like the story's not over. Oh, no, no. This is a, the, see, this, this is a three-part story. Okay. And, you know, I had to tell the, the you know, set it up, you know, yeah. the first part, and it's to be continued. That was the hook. Right. And in the, in the second book, which is in production right now, the two, I want to say bad guys, but Milton and um, Yvonne, they're telling the story in their voice. Okay. And you find out, okay, we've got these two ex-convicts, they're criminals, but believe it or not, they're likable. They're very likable. They're yes. likable. You, you so they tell all your characters are likable. Well, even even my murderers. I have people say, oh, you, you had somebody kill somebody, but I felt sorry for the killer. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, 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 
because, you know, people had it so hard back then. And um, Yvonne and Milton had such tragic lives. And you kind of say, well, no wonder they turned out the way they did. You feel sorry for them. And then they start blackmailing, and they're doing this. And Well, Milton starts blackmailing in the, in the first book. And in the second book, you know, it, it gets a lot more tense because Milton can't keep a secret. And the next thing you know, Yvonne's in on the blackmail and so on and so forth. And so that's the second book. But that will be continued also. And the third, third and final book in the series, all four characters will be speaking. So now, have you? So when you this in production, and, and so you set. Do you, have you already written the second? Oh book? yeah, is that I'm done. You're I've, done. I've heard, you know, I'm I'm done. We're just putting. I'm just doing some nips and tucks right now, and, and it'll be released uh, next year. And the third one is done. No, the third one um, will be the last. You know, all four characters. Okay, in the first book, two characters, Joyce and Odell, are speaking. In the second book. Milton and Yvonne will be speaking. They're, you know, it's here, mm-hmm. their story. And in the fourth book, all four characters will be speaking. Okay, okay. And unfortunately, somebody has to get killed. Oh, gosh. And, this, okay, okay. <laughs> well, and that's very hard after reading it. And now, mm-hmm. I mean, you really have written the your, your work. That, this is the first time I've had a chance, and I'm definitely going to... Uh, Get a couple other books and just to see the. Oh, the, please just, do, and I, and I and look and I can I recommend. Well, it's, it's so hard for me because it's like a parent with a bunch of kids. You know, right. which ones can you recommend? But one of my most absolutely most popular characters is Mama Ruby. Mama, oh, it's, I think I read a little mm-hmm. bit about her. She's the one who has healing hands. Mm-hmm. And she has she a stillborn, and she a, brings it back to life. Oh yeah, she was a. I don't. I don't even know. I can't even put it. Put, come up with a word for her because I've had people, you know, big celebrities say, oh, well, I'm going to play Mama Ruby and, and even, even Monique, you know, the actress. Uh, her sister told a, a friend of mine, oh, I'm going to play her and this and that. And uh, recently I had somebody say, well, you know, oh, I can't wait to see Mama Ruby on the big screen. You know, we we haven't, you know, I've had some movie offers, but nothing that uh, I was I was happy with. One production company wanted to do Mama Ruby as a white woman. Oh, uh uh-uh. Okay. And uh, I was asked to make changes by other production people that I, I'm just not willing to make. Good for you. You know, this is my story. You Good know, for you. and I'm going to tell it the way. Well, uh, I'll make some allowances, but I'm not. I'm only going to go so far. But I, I suggest that you start with the Upper Room series, which, which the first one could be, because the Upper Room was my first book. Okay, the Upper and Room is that with Mama Ruby? Well, yeah, it's the second book. But what happened was I wrote the Upper Room. That was my first book. And it got rave reviews, all the United States and the, the U.K. and whatnot. But I didn't get my second contract for my second book until 15 years later. And um, as hard as I was working, it took me 15 years to get my second contract. But when I did, it's like, oh, my God, I couldn't write the books fast enough. And now I'm up to number 23. That's fascinating. And your your life is as fascinating as the characters in your book. Well, my publisher has been after me to write my memoir, but I keep telling them, because, you know, these characters are composites of people I know. And I says, well, I've got some relatives that have already threatened me and <laughs> until they go back to prison or, <laughs> or die, I can't write my memoir yet. Yeah, yeah. 
It's just fascinating. And so when you, you taught yourself to write, which, which really, when, yes, I, when I heard that, I really thought the gift taught you what it could do. Because, mm-hmm. because the way you write is so lush and so clear and you, and it's so easy to be invested in the characters and, and to feel their, their emotions and have empathy and mm-hmm. look out for them. So that I just thought, okay, you've been writing since you were four, right? I was making up stories even before that, even right. before then. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so this is certainly, you know, a gift. I'm, I'm from a family of illiterates. I'm the only one to graduate high school, um, you know, sitting on the porch in Alabama when everybody was saying, get a husband, get a husband. And I wanted to get a get a book, get a book, write a story, you know, and they were all telling me, eh, black girls, little black girls don't write books. Well, I, I, I was a maverick, you know, I didn't go, I didn't join that, that old find a husband, get married and sit on the porch and have 10 babies. And I have, I have a, one relative was only three years. She's three years my senior. She's got 11 children. And all when I, when I was growing up, they kept telling me, find a man, find a man. Well, when I was a teenager in my late teens, I found a man, and he was the man from, he was from hell. That didn't work out. And I said, okay, I, I want to write. This is what I want to do. I don't want to clean houses like my mom. I don't want to continue working on the farms. And by then, I was in Ohio. You know, I had moved to Ohio, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I pursued it, you know. And even to this day, with over 20 books and New York Times and this, that, and the other, I have relatives coming at me telling me, well, when are you going to get a real job? That's unfortunate that we do. <laughs> it, and that is unfortunate that we do have this, the way we constructed in culture that mm-hmm. what's real and not, and, and art is, writing is not real. It's, it's not a, it's do. a hobby. Right. And that's unfortunate. But the fortunate, the fortunate thing is that you haven't stopped and you haven't gotten a real job because there's no way in the world <laughs> these characters would want you to be somewhere off, uh, punching no a clock, way. if you will. Oh, God. So uh, but I did work a real job for years. I was a secretary uh, and raising. I raised two two kids on my own, and I'd go home, go to work, and work all day. Then I'd come home and be at my at, at the time it was a, a a brother typewriter. This was before computers, <laughs> and I'd sit until two and three in the morning, and then get up at seven to go to my day job. I did that for years. I am so absolutely proud of you. I know I've never met you, but I'm so proud of you as a woman. Well, you know, I had some great coaches. Maya mm-hmm. Angelou was a, a, an early mentor. So was Toni Morrison. And when she was still, before she got really, really famous, she um, coached me in a lot of ways. You know, she was a an editor at Kanav mm-hmm. for years. And, of course, the great, wonderful, great James Baldwin. So, you know, I, I had some really great people you know, uh, uh, in my corner, telling me, "Oh no, no, no! You, 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 you've got the gift. You know, don't, don't put it aside." And everybody, relatives were telling me, "Oh, you, you publish one book, but so what?" And then when it, it took fifteen years for me to publish another book, that kind of gave them more uh, fuel. Well, we, we told you wasn't going to work out. Find another husband. Do this. Do that. And you know, the same people who were tell- coaching me like that, they were asking for free books. Okay. 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 <laughs> know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do. I do. The, so, when you're writing in the process, 
And I know the the characters are based on people you know or situations that you've mm-hmm. been you've been aware of. Does it internally? What does it do for you? Do you are you in the story you know, and hard to come out of the story? Is is it mm-mm. no? For me, it's very therapeutic okay. because I internalized a lot. And I still do. But uh, more so when I was young, when I was a teenager and even before. Because uh, when when I was a teenager, I used to, I published my first story when I was 15. And I used to write for the confession magazines, True Confessions. Uh, there was a, a black line of romance um, uh, stories called Jive and Bronze Steals and whatnot. I was writing those stories. I'd get up in the middle of the night and write those stories and send them in, and I'd make a few bucks. And people, the people in my neighborhood, my family especially, to them, all I was doing was, you still fiddling around on that typewriter? But when the checks started rolling in, it was... You still fiddling around with that typewriter? <laughs> I'm so glad that you had the mentors you had, Tony Morrison, Matt oh my Angel, and James Baldwin, because mm-hmm. they know these stories in their own ways, and they can relate to them. Exactly. Yeah, they, they, I'm sure they've experienced them too. Yeah, we. Yeah, as writers, as artists, we all do on one level, even if it's the person we're lying in bed next to mm-hmm. that we call our partner. They may oh, have. Please. Yeah, it could be just a, you know, a. Kind of a thing at the end of us sharing a story. I've heard writers say that. They say, Oh, I'm working on a new story. And the sound of your own home is like, <sighs> and that's enough sometimes to push, so, push someone away from their dreams, but you held on to it. And this, this novel, oh, I'm talking to Mary Monroe, her latest work, her new best time, New York Times bestselling author, Mary Monroe, One House Over, Two Homes, One Lie That Binds. Uh, I'm talking to her about her new work, and it's absolutely fascinating. It takes place in the 30s right after doing and after the Depression, how people are trying mm-hmm. to make life up to, and, and, and sometimes making life up is hurting someone else if you got to get your hustle on, so to speak. That's right. That's you, right. You have the madam, the, what is her name? She oh, was, Aunt Maddie. Aunt Maddie. <laughs> and I, I, I lived when I was in my when I was still in high school. We lived in a house. There on one side of us was the biggest bootlegger in town, mm-hmm. and on the other side was the biggest brothel. And boy, could I did I get some good stuff from both sides? Yes, Miss Rosie <laughs> was the madam. Yes, and Mr. Roy, Roy, his name was Roy Jones. He ran the um. He was a bootlegger, and and there were there were several bootleggers right in our same neighborhood, and they would all they would get drunk and and come to our house by mistake. I can't tell you how rich that was for me because I I tell you I got so much great material from the men who would come to the come looking for the brothel who would end up on our front porch, and the people looking for the bootlegger who would end up on our front porch. I would actually sit on the porch and talk to these people. Yes. With my notebook. You are right. That is very <laughs> rich and can supply. So in our last few minutes, I want to make sure that you, that we can let, I'm sure you have a, a strong fan base here, but I did not, mm-hmm. was not aware. Now I am a fan of your work and well, I, thank you very much. And I'm definitely going to get, I want to do Mama Ruby. When I mm-hmm. read a little excerpt offline, I thought, Oh, I got what? to read about a woman who takes a stillborn and heals her with her hand and raises. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. But these things... And, and wait until you find out why she, she stole her best friend's baby, kidnapped best friend's baby. 
Uh oh. <laughs> this so to people can get your books where I know they Everywhere. can email you uh, Amazon online, uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, I went out to Walmart. I, I usually go around locally and find their stock. And uh, I, I go around, and by the time I get back there the next week, they sold all the ones I signed. And so uh, Target and uh, all bookstores. Kudos for you. And then what, what is Lost Daughters about? Okay. Um, the Mama Ruby series be, again, began with the upper room. And it, it started sort of in the middle of the story, but it was supposed, wasn't supposed to be the middle of the story. But uh, these two women, they've had a rough life, and one, you know, wants the baby daughter so desperately that she delivers one, you know, her best friend's baby, and they think the baby's dead. And Mama Ruby's been praying for a baby daughter, and so when they, when she oh. gets the baby home and pre- to prepare her for burial, the baby's alive. And so oh she's like, oh, gosh. I'm going to skip town and keep we're, we're out of and time. So, we're out of time, Mary. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I Mama will, I will, I will, and I'm going to keep up with you wait for this, the the Please second do. of One House Over. This is Mary Monroe. Uh, get her best selling novel, One House Over. Two homes, one lie that binds. That's Mary Monroe. Thanks a lot, Mary, for being my guest. It's been a Thank pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Oh. Thank you. All right. I'm Javelin, cover to cover. I'll see you in three weeks. Bye-bye. Radioactive Resistance is a benefit for KPFA Radio and DACA support services. Featuring multi-Grammy Award winner Arturo O'Farrell and the Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra, the Bobby Cespedes Band, and the Son Jarocho All-Stars, plus special guests. Saturday, May 12, 7.30 p.m. at the UC Theater, 2036 University Avenue in Berkeley. Arturo O'Farrell says, quote, We are thrilled to support the work of KPFA in his sacred commitment to truth and dialogue. Don't take KPFA's existence for granted, KPFA needs your support now more than ever. Support KPFA by attending Radioactive Resistance, featuring Arturo O'Farrell and the Afro-Latin Jazz Orchestra, the Bobby Cespedes Band, and the Son Jarocho All-Stars, Saturday, May 12, 7.30 p.m. at